the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear His roar. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father, Jesus the Son, and give Him the glory, great things He has done. Oh, redemption, the purchase of God to every off of the of God's path and start taking our own path and we need forgiveness when we do that please join me in this morning's prayer confession God Almighty Lord of the universe we have strayed from your ways and done our own thing the very things we wanted to do to honor you we haven't done the very things we didn't want to do we did oh God we need your help forgive us and wash us clean Renew a right spirit within us. Help us to quickly see any wicked way in us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. Show us how to find delight in your ways and run from the enticements of this world. All this we pray in the precious name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Our guidelines for living this morning is also from 1 Peter 1 verse 14. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Let's stand together as we continue to worship our great God.
be seated. The ever-popular Amazing Grace was written by John Newton in 1779, and the tune is a traditional American melody which was arranged for this hymn in 1900 by Edwin Excel. The scripture reference for this great hymn comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting from verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Father in heaven, we thank you for the wonderful privilege of that amazing grace that you've shown on us and that we're your children today and we can claim that because of what Christ did for us. We thank you, God, too, for the many privileges you've given to us and many material blessings. Lord, please accept these gifts as we give them in honor of you and to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we want to thank you for this gorgeous day and for the wonderful day that it's cold. It's, it's taking care of some of the germs and also taking care of some of the bugs that we won't have to deal with this 
summer. We thank you, God, for the way you work weather and how beautiful it was yesterday and how today we're challenged, but what a wonderful thing that you've brought all the seasons to us. We praise you, God, for your creation, how marvelous it is, how way it works. There's so much that you've given to us, not only with the creation of the world, but also our bodies and our minds and all the things that we have capabilities of. And Father God, we pray for our nation. We continue to lift it up, Lord. You know our leaders need it very much. We pray for changes to be done. We pray also, too, that they will put on the mind that is from you and, and understand the law that you laid down for this land. That they understand the moral values. that are supposed to hold the society together and be strong. Father, we just lift that all up to you, God. And we pray for those men and women who bravely every day go out to the streets and put themselves on the line to keep us safe here in our community and also on foreign soil. I pray also to Father God for prayer requests today. We think of Doug Fissel, who was in a very bad car wreck. And I just pray, Lord, that you'll bring healing to his ribs, his ankle, his kidneys, and that you'll bring him back to full health and strength. I pray also for a little 16-month-year-old baby seals. As having heart surgery, Father, I just pray that you'll be with the parents, uh, Joe and Leek, as they deal with that, Lord, and that full and complete healing will be done for that baby. I thank you too, Lord, for dying on the cross for us, Father, and for a marriage, Lord, that you'll be, Lord, that you put your hand over that and bring joy and forgiveness back to that marriage and bring healing. And that you'll be with the young man who's going to be making a decision about college. Just give him wisdom, Lord, on where he's to go and where you want him to be as your servant, as your messenger, and where he can grow mostly. I pray also, too, for those that are our shut-ins. We think of Bill and Evelyn and Lucille and Karen and Kay and Joyce as they struggle with their health conditions, Lord, and their confinement to their homes. I pray also too, Father God, for um, especially for um, Angie and the cancer that she's battling and for her husband Todd, who's some, some severe heart issues, Father. I pray also for Samantha Mumma and for her cancer on her brain and for Mark, who also, uh, Mark Dops, as he is battling cancer on his brain. Bring them all healing, Jesus. Put your hand upon them. I pray also too, Father God, for Barbara as she's dealing with some issues. I pray for the family yesterday that I buried a dad, a friend, and a brother. That the law so, Lord, be comforted as he passed this life. And Father God, now I pray also, too, for our friends that are addicted. You know, the struggles that they go through. I pray especially today for Ryan, Lord. You know the struggles that he has right now. And I pray for the help that he's getting. I just pray he accepts it. I pray for Jordan that his heart will be turned and that he will follow what he needs to do. I pray also, too, for David and Eric and Ricky and Mitch. All these are battling those addictions. God, just give them the strength to conquer. Help them to look to you for that. 
And Father God, we pray for our world. It's so sad. Sometimes we don't even want to watch the news because it's another shooting, or another person's been killed, another group of people have been killed. I just pray, Jesus Christ, that this will give us more desire to get out there and share the gospel and see people's hearts changed. I pray for the church throughout the world, Lord, that we will send the message of Jesus Christ out. Not our own message, not man's message, but your message. And I pray for our church as we are going through this transition right now and it's going to be coming to an end. I just pray that your glory will shine forth, Jesus. And now, Father God, hear us, Lord, as we want to hear from your word today. We need to hear from your word, Lord, because you have much to say for us, and we need to hear it. Help us to have open ears and open eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. Poppy, cookie, you're not going to have a cookie until you finish your supper. Poppy, cookie, I told you. Five minutes this goes on, this torture, as this grandparent is struggling not to give in, to keep a mouth shut. <laughs> it's amazing how they can find such great persistence and know they can beat you down. Well, today we're in the scriptures, and this is not what happens, of course, with Moses and God, with Pharaoh. Pharaoh is very stubborn. And God's going to use him to paint the picture of who he is. Not only is he going to paint the picture of who he is, but he's also going to show us his power and his greatness throughout the world. This God, Yahweh, that the Bible portrays, our God. The God of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's the one who is the one over all. And God is going to use Pharaoh to teach not only the Israelites, not only the Egyptians, but the whole world and himself included, that God's the one who's in control. And Pharaoh may think he's in control at this point. But God has the whole deal in his hands. And God is using these signs, these plagues, if you will, to show us how great God is and that we need to obey him and to see his power, to see his lordship and the choices that he makes to help us out of his love and grace and mercy so we can grow. And God is going to share with us his points so that we can understand this very fully. That he's the only one. There's none other like him. And that he is greater than any other God or being in this whole universe. That he also is a great God who comes down to us and works with us, even patiently works with stubborn people. <laughs> and also has a choice. How much of his love for us. So today we begin with Moses. And that God wants us to all know how great this God is. 
And we see that all will know. The Bible says in the end. But even now. If you remember back in 5.2. When Moses went first to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said very cockily. Who is this God that I'm to obey his voice? Very sure of himself. Wanting to know who this God really thought he was. Because you see, Pharaoh was looked on as a God, as a leader. In fact, he was believed to be the son of the son. And the son that had the light of every day of Egypt. That Pharaoh was called Re, which means son. And he was the son of the son. And he had himself thinking that he had all this power. And why would he even think about listening to Moses? No less this God that he says that is the I am. And notice what we see here in chapter 7 where he says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh will not heed you. So that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people and my children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. We see these mighty acts that God is going to do. But notice what he says right away. Pharaoh is not going to listen. Pharaoh is going to harden his heart. Pharaoh's going to say no. He's going to have his way. The Bible tells us this is what's going to happen in our society. Not only the leaders of our society, but society in general. The Apostle Paul wrote about it in chapter 1 of Romans 1. That when people go into ungodliness and rebel against God, they're lining themselves up for great danger. And even though God will take his time at executing his judgment, he will do that. And you know, when we rebel against God and we think we've got it all together, which we will see here that Pharaoh thinks he's in control, God also will take the control from Pharaoh. You see, Pharaoh, several times here it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. But the Bible also says there are times here in this passage where God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And there are some people we know in this world that will have their hearts and they think they're in control and they will say, I'm not going to buy with God. And there comes a point when God says, okay, I'm not going to let you unharden your heart. I'm going to harden your heart because you don't want to listen. Even if it gets worse for you, you still don't want to change. And Pharaoh, at this point, is very much in control and thinks he's above God. And listen to what it says in Romans to our, our situation in America today and the world. Where the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men. You see, God never meant it to be this way. He brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. And there are, we will see as we go along and that Moses later on in Leviticus and all these other books of the Bible sets up law. God given law. In fact, our government 
our justice system started out being undergirded by the very laws that Moses gave in the civil division. And God gave Moses three divisions of law. It was the civil division, thou shalt not murder. It was also the moral law about sexuality. And that there's also the ceremonial law which they were to follow. And those laws still hold true today. They hold the fiber of society. But as Paul writes to us that this ungodliness and unrighteousness suppresses the truth, we see that today. For what can be known by, from God is plain to them, but they refused to listen. For this invisible attributes, namely the eternal power and the divine nature, have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world. They're very plain for us to see. And yet, God has made them known. So everyone, God says, is without excuse. And what we see here today, God shows Pharaoh, but he refuses to listen to God. And God is going to show us that he is no one like him. His power and his greatness. Egypt had over a hundred gods. And Pharaoh was one of them. And God is going to take ten signs. And he's going to take the Egyptians and the Israelites through them. And he's going to teach them the lesson of his greatness. And who he is. And how easy it is to fall aside and not allow that to go. We live in a country right now that there's some places in religion, in Christianity, that they don't want to hear, they don't want us to talk about God's judgment. But tragically, that's part of who God is. He would not be God if he allowed injustice to go on. And so he's going to deal with it. And he will do it at the final consummation. But in the meantime, there will be opportunities. Here, he deals with it with Egypt, with the plagues. And he's going to show the Egyptians. And he says to Moses, but indeed for this purpose I raised you up. That I might show my power in you and that my name will be declared in all the earth. God's glory will shine forth. We know that in the end of times and it's to do so now. And God is going to do that. How interesting it is though how many times we need to teach our children what is right. Yes we do. But there are also times when we see the world creep into their lives. And in our own lives, and kind of neglect talking about the hard things. I've talked to, it's tragic, and, and they don't realize the ramifications of what they do. I've met Christians, I've known Christians that lived together before they got married. Sadly, they never understood what God was trying to convince them of, to prepare themselves for marriage so they can withstand other temptations. Instead, they live together. 82% of those that live together wind up 
having problems in their marriage and divorce. Those who sleep with a lot of partners, they have a problem as they go along in life with stopping that. And here, there are times that we see it in our own world how people refuse. And here we find it with Pharaoh. Hardens his heart. Refuses to listen to God. Israel's been called by God to be different. Notice in Deuteronomy 7, it's not because you were more in number than any other people of the world. The Lord set you in love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest people. God chose us as Christians. Not because we're a great group of people, but because we're small. Do you remember how it started out? Way back in Acts chapter 1 with a small group of people. It's now grown large in the church. But we've lost our strength morally. Because we refuse to stand for what is right on God's justice. And you've had it before. I have. People that you love that refuse to do God's will. And it costs them dearly. Pray for them. And pray that to remind them that if they want to harden themselves, be careful. Because there will come a day that maybe God will say, okay. You don't want it. I'm not going to let you anymore. I'm going to harden your heart. Don't ever come to that point where God is angry with you. They'll say, you think you're going to choose whenever you want? No, 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 no. Because God's terms are that we obey. God wants us to obey on his terms. And what we see here and what we're going to see here today, Moses' problem is that Pharaoh, like so many times we can get in our own Christian lives, we want to be on our terms and not God's. And we want to compromise some of the things that God says. And God says, no. I love you enough to make you do what's right. And God does that. And sometimes it's part very painful when he does that. But he wants us to give total commitment to him. Our total allegiance. You see, what happens here is Pharaoh. Here's what Moses says. Moses says, God says, give us three days journey so we can go out and worship God. And Pharaoh takes what God says. And he wants to minimize it. Notice in verse 8.25. Go and sacrifice to your God within the land. Not three days journey. But do it this way. Compromise Moses. Come on. Because he was afraid to lose his strength. As a leader. Over the Israelites. And that he'd lose his workforce. And so he's trying to tweak. God's plan. And then Pharaoh goes on again and says, I will let you sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. See, he still doesn't want to do it God's way. 
Partial obedience. Sometimes we do that, don't we? We can obey God partially and not do it his way. Again, he says, no, go among the people and serve them. But that is what you are asking. They were driven out from the Pharaoh's presence. Just do it here. Again, in 1024, go serve the Lord with the little ones. Go with you. Only let the flocks and herds remain. You keep everything here. You see, he was willing to go and make compromise with God. But we don't compromise with God. How many times do we find it in our own life that we find ourselves compromising? Something that the God, word of God says, well, I don't follow it that fully. You see, Jesus, when he came along, he says, we're to follow him fully. And that we're to walk in his way. Not make compromises. This is the tragedy in the Christian faith today. We're making compromises with the world. That's wrong. And you see, the world is like Satan. Pharaoh's like Satan tempting us. Oh, you can be a Christian. You can give your life to Jesus Christ. But you don't have to follow it that fully. You don't have to not do this. You see, that's the world speaking to us. It wants to hold us in its grip. And we all know that you can't be halfway committed. Either you're fully committed or you're not. It's a very dangerous place to be in when you're only half committed to the Lord. I remember a coach one time saying to a ball player, when you're running down there, you better make sure that you're committed to hitting that guy. Don't back off, you're gonna get hurt. And this is what happens. This is what happens to the Christian church. We have watered it down. We have tried to minimize sin and judgment. And today we have before us, God is showing us that he's a God of justice. And when you're a God of justice, you need to have things settled. And the wrongs made right. Where there's no security in the world. Some people believe that as Christians and that Jesus winks at sin. Or that he looks the other way. No, 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 no. That you've got the wrong God. Because if you believe that, you can't be a Christian. God believes and God puts forth his holiness and that there's not to be any sin in his heaven. And because he sets such a high standard, the justice is to be served and that the wrongs of this life and the sins of this life need to be paid for. 
You see, this is why Jesus Christ came to die. Because God is this great God of justice and will not allow any sin to tamper or taint his heaven. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ into the world to die because his justice will obliterate all sin and it's obliterated in Jesus Christ who's dying on the cross and washes that sin away. And because of that, God has an aversion to sin. Yes, he's a forgiving God, but that's through Jesus Christ. But he's still the just God. He wants things right. He doesn't wink at sin. He deals with it. And there's a lot of people who think, oh, you just he'll forgive that. No, you don't go at it with that attitude. That we want to do what God wants and what is right. And we see it here in the finger of God. The people, <clears throat> the magicians are flabbergasted at the power that God has. Oh, they can figure out a few magical incantations through these nine. Basically, we have ten plagues, but we're going to only look at nine today. And God lays them out, three for discomfort. And if you'll notice as you go through, they get worse and worse as we go through. And then they begin to get destructive. And then there's a dread. Some people like to say, oh, those are just myths. They're not myths. We know that they were not fabricated. We know the reality that they took place. They did occur. Some people say, yeah, but they weren't miraculous. Just they were. Even if God used natural disasters, they were momentarily miraculous because God timed them that way. And that God used the natural forces to break havoc on these people and brought judgment and justice, which is necessary for our world. Well, how do you know that God did this? Look at the intensification when we go through these, when they happen. And notice that they're predicted the three bottom ones were not predicted because God just allowed them to happen to just really lay it on them. And that they're discriminative. Why is it that the Egyptians had all these problems and those Jews out in Goshen had nothing happening? Because God discriminated. And there's an ordinariness about them. All ten of them. And God has a purpose in each one. And progressively they get worse in order to make his point to them. And there's a moral purpose. God is teaching us. Some people say, well, where did the magicians get their powers? Well, we know that some of them had deception and sleight of hand. We've seen that in some of the people that go on the road and show us. But there's also powers. The powers of darkness that they could use from Satan. 
And Satan uses them in our world too. We don't want to think about that, but they're there. And notice how God keeps on. Every time Pharaoh runs into one of these, his heart gets even harder. When God brings judgment, sometimes people's hearts get harder. It's amazing to me in the book of Revelation. People are experienced tremendous tumultuous events. And instead of repenting and turning to God and going for his grace, they continue to gnash their teeth at God and yell and scream at him. Because they don't know the grace of Christ. And their pride, like Pharaoh, has gotten in the way. And God brings his wrath. And there's many reasons why God brought his wrath. And that Pharaoh who thought he could bargain with God could not. And if we look at these with the finger of God, the Nile was turned into blood. In Egypt, you can ask Karawanka. Egypt, the Nile was supposed to be this thing of life. And here God turns it into blood. Killing fish. This was their power of life. In fact, they even had hymns of the Nile. Of their great God of the Nile. Then frogs came. And they were the goddess of fertility. And they were not supposed to be killed. And they were disgustingly over everything. And they freaked. Gnats came, lice. And the magicians could not change them. They could not stop it. And then the flies came. And affected the herds and the animals. Even then, Pharaoh says, pray for me but still doesn't repent. And the livestock is killed. Tremendous economic devastation upon Egypt. And then the boils on the feet, on the hands, on the backs. And even the magicians couldn't do anything to reverse it because God was in control. Then the tremendous storm of hail. And then the locust Hail that damaged the crops. But the locust, they ate the wheat and destroyed it all. And God says amongst us all, he says, remember to tell this to your children. How God in his power deals with injustice. And how God has the power over it all. And that finally the darkness comes. Even in the room of a house with a light candle, it's dark. Can you imagine the tremendous emotional and psychological consequences of being so dark for three days? Why does he have it happen for three days? Remember Jesus spent Time on the cross in the darkness. 
And here we see the darkness. Some of you have been to the Northwest and you know how depressing it can be when it's over. When, when, when the storms come in and it's so dreary for days. And God did that because, of course, guess who was the great God? Ray of the sun. And God is dealing with that. Because he was so proud that he was the son of the sun. And here this darkness comes that he has no control over. When we look at these plagues, folks, we understand why God does them. His points. Number one is because it's an indictment against Egypt and its false gods. It's an indictment that God is saying, I'm judging you now. And these are all false gods. We live in an age, and I don't know if you've ever read a good book by Timothy Keller. He wrote a book called The Gods of This Age. And how easy it is to make things our gods. And anything that becomes an idol is in the place of God. That's an idol that God is angry with. And that become false gods. And here he pleasures and demonstrates his power. Through these beings that were all part of the gods of that age. And the plagues are part of the judgment on Pharaoh and Egypt for their cruelty. The way they treated the Israelites in their bondage. They were a means of forcing Pharaoh to release Israel. And in reality, folks, the plagues are a prototype, a sample of God's final judgment when he will come to judge the living and the dead. And we see in the book of Revelation, they even sing the song of Moses. Why do they do that? Because these plagues of God are being unleashed in the book of Revelation at a much more catastrophic event. And it's all because of judge justice and judgment. And friends, I want to encourage you. When you have an opportunity with friends or maybe go to church and that are religious because you see the church has lost in some pockets the idea that God is the supreme judge and all the world will stand before him. You see, judgment is really not very popular in our day and age. We want everybody to feel good and to enjoy. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but when we hide the truth that God will judge this world and that there will be many who will be lost, 
we in the church have made a big mistake and are wrong. God warned Pharaoh through Moses. You and I need to help people who go to church realize that God is still the judge. And in the end, if you read in the book of Revelations, there's going to be two books. There's the book of life, which will be opened and those whose names are written in the book of life through Jesus Christ's blood will be saved. And there's another book. Those who try to do it on their own, they will be judged perfectly by God's righteous judgment. And it's a problem. Because it has to be perfect. And for those of us, we know that the things we do in this life as Christians will get rewarded according to what we have done on this earth. It's not a judgment, but it's a reward ceremony. But for those who are without Christ, they will be judged exactly what they deserve in judgment for what they've done. It's a scary thing. It's a scary thing to be in the hands of an angry God, as Jonathan Edwards said it. And this is what has happened. God's judgment has come upon Egypt. And will happen in our day and age too. In ages to come. Warn your friends. Warn your loved ones. Who don't accept Jesus as their savior. That there will come a day they'll have to answer for what they've done. Without Christ, their lawyer, to protect them. And that there's going to be a great amount of adversity that will come. Like never before in all of eternity. The book of Job talks about adversity and how Job struggled through his struggles. And yet, he still was faithful to God. But the judgment of God is something else. Job wasn't in the position because he was judged. It was because of his righteousness. That Satan wanted and say, God, you're, he's righteous because you're so good to him. Take it all from him and let's see how faithful he is to you. Job passed the test. But here, that's not this. This is the judgment of God. And God is reminding us. And we're to warn our friends. They will stand before him and have to give an account. Thursday, I was called by a friend who had just found out that an old friend of his, they found him in Oklahoma City in his apartment, dead. And he asked me if I would do his service for him. On Saturday. And I told him I'd be glad to do whatever I can to help the family. And this young man, for some reason, whether he had a heart attack, we don't know, 51 years old. And he's laying there. They found him. 
And we talked about his life and what he did. You see, <clears throat> I feel a privilege when God asks me to do these things. Because think about it, folks. How many people do you know think about death until they see a coffin or see a box of cremains and they think about eternity? I was amazed when I was reading a statistic about how many people think about retirement. Now, a lot of people don't have retirement incomes. And then all of a sudden, one day, they're ready to retire and they just have maybe Social Security. But even worse than that, that is when people don't think about their eternal destination and where they're going to go. And I counted a privilege to be able to come before a crowd and bring comfort to their hearts, but also bring the gospel to which they can be saved from the judgment of God and realize that there's something beyond this life and I know our generation has those wonderful little quips, could you call them? Sound bites. The latest one, of course, is, you know, they passed over the Rainbow Bridge. <laughs> really? This is serious business. Who took them over the bridge? I hope it was Jesus. And you see, the seriousness of it, many people don't understand. And you'll hear people say nice things and meaning well, well, is at peace. Or the end of the journey. Those are nice, comforting words, believe me, and I don't want to demean that. We want to help our friends in that crisis. We also want to help them before the crisis comes and that they know for certain, with certainty, where they're going to end up and know for sure where they will live and that they understand God's holiness doesn't wink at sin and say, well, they lived a pretty good life. They were nice neighbors and I'll let them in. No. <laughs> How many jokes have we heard about standing before St. Peter and he lets them in for some silliness? The real truth of the matter is this is eternity. And it's the one shot. So yesterday I had the privilege out in that beautiful weather out by a mausoleum where I was expecting maybe 10, 15 people and there was 150. I was able to talk about how God was willing to send his son to bring eternal life. It's just not enough to know it to accept them 
and follow his way because otherwise judgment comes. And that we need to understand that it's not on our terms. Tuesday, <laughs> witnessing in East Town Mall, talking to a young man, 28 years old, running a shop in the middle of the mall. Nice young man. Asked him what he thought about when he died. I'm a good person. He gave those answers. I said, are you certain that you're going to go to heaven? <laughs> well, sure, I'm a nice guy. I said, what about Jesus Christ? Well, I don't know about that. Another couple. Couple. Older couple. They claim to be Hindu. <laughs> and I know Hinduism. I've studied it. And the only thing they grab from Hinduism is that they're going to go back into another frame of reference. But the rest of it was, were we just good persons? And we're just living a good life and that we're going to just go back into the plane of God. And I said to the lady, how do you know this? I feel it in my heart. Mm. Scary. And yesterday, what a privilege to give this opportunity. Sad this young man passed away. Broken son. Died all by himself. But to be able to share with him and the whole congregation and some of my friends what Jesus has to offer for them and eternal life and the hope that we have that they, we don't need to fear the judgment of God. And that we're going to get different jewels in our crowns, folks. <laughs> because of what we've done. And we'll be honored by God for that. What a privilege. And then as we closed, we sang the hymn that we sang this morning here. We all know that old hymn, don't we? Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And I was thinking, how many of these people actually believe that? That there's nothing worthy in them for God to save. And that the only thing they bring to God is their sin. And that Jesus Christ will forgive those sins and give them eternal life. And as it was amazing to me. How many of these 40 and 50 year olds, and there was about 150 of them, sang that hymn? That knew the words, especially the first verse. But I question, I said, Lord, how many of them really know the words? Understand the words of Jesus' saving work.
from the judgment. It was overwhelming. <clears throat> and I'm grateful that they heard. Pray with me that they understand and receive it into their lives. Let's pray together. Father, today I want to thank you for you coming and sending your son so that we have nothing to fear when we die. That as you say with the psalmist that as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil because Jesus, our shepherd, is walking through it with us. And that he's protecting us and bringing us safely home to heaven. And I pray for those, maybe even this room, that somebody doesn't know that. That today they'll admit that they're a sinner and they fall short every day of God's glory. <clears throat> and they'll ask you, Jesus, to come into their hearts and wash them and make them right. And that they can now live no longer for themselves, but for you, Christ. And I pray for that congregation yesterday that the people were there that are still thinking about the words that were said in a very tragic moment and that they'll hear your voice and accept you, Jesus, and come to have salvation. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be with this congregation this morning and to learn from Moses and from you, God. That at that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. To you be the glory and honor both now and forever. Amen. Let's close and receive our benediction and sing our closing song. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, your Father, who brought Jesus for us, and the Holy Spirit that illumines our hearts to understand it, be with you now and forever. Amen. Amen. New life in Christ above.